Chapter 4 The Shadow in the Mirror There is a prince in the palace. It's been a long time since this was the case, so it takes the princess a few moments to realize that this is not her mind playing tricks. Not that the princess's mind ever plays tricks. It, like everything else, obeys her every command. Princess Azula watches her dead brother's reflection in the mirror for several moments, and then forces herself to continue brushing her hair. It's only a ghost, she tells herself. There's no need to react. Brother, she greets. Zuko blinks hard, like he's trying to focus, and presses a hand to his abdomen. Oh, he says after a moment, voice a little weak. I didn't mean to come here. You're welcome to leave, Azula points out. Things would certainly be simpler if her brother's ghost would stop haunting her. She watches Zuko's reflection in her peripheral vision. This version of him that is three years older, scarred from the Agni Kai, hair disheveled from wherever he has been, and yet utterly and completely dead. Dead, dead, dead. Azula wonders if she's supposed to be feeling more about this. Mostly, Azula just feels irritated. Zuko has always been a failure, and now here he is, a failure in death itself, and unable to even cling to an understandable version of his thirteen-year-old self. Zuko shakes his head like he's trying to clear it. He sways a little, as if he has any balance to lose. I was somewhere else, Zuko says. He has a hand at his temples, on the scarred side of his head. There was... someone was. I'm sure this will all be very interesting to Uncle, Azula states pointedly. Uncle, Zuko repeats, his tone wondering. That's where I usually go when I leave the other place. Why am I here? And just like that, anger bursts underneath Azula's skin. Yes, why would you visit your sister in the three years since your very timely death? She agrees, sharp and vicious. Her useless brother looks surprised, and it appears to break him out of his confused daze. His golden eyes meet hers in the mirror, and Azula very carefully refrains from glaring before she looks back to her own reflection. It isn't like she cares, after all. Oh. Zuko moves closer to her, and then sits on the chair beside her. I didn't know you wanted me to visit you. Azula's hands still. She refuses to react, internally or externally. I. You know that I didn't know I was dead, right, Azula? I didn't realize that I had the option of visiting you. Zuko has always been an idiot. Azula just didn't know that he was a murdered idiot, taken down by their own father, years before anyone would bother to tell her that he was gone. Sometimes, every now and then, and very quietly, something in her that sounds like mother says, it was wrong. What happened was wrong. Zuko should have been punished, and Azula was right to be filled with glee at his banishment, but murdering him in an Agni Kai he couldn't legally consent to. But on the rare, very rare, occasions that this voice speaks to Azula, she extinguishes it beneath her palm and moves on. If you were trying to find Uncle Iroh, you're too late, Azula informs him. When Zuko goes still beside her, Azula sighs internally at his stupidity and adds, He escaped. I heard the servants whispering about it. His prison was in the palace, Zuko asks. Keep your enemies closer, Azula reminds him. And it was hardly a prison anyway. I found it. It wasn't that hard, once I knew there was something to look for. Zuko turns to face her properly, and Azula glances over at him. He's frowning deeply, but he doesn't look dazed like before. He's just watching her like she said something surprising. What do you mean, hardly a prison? 
I mean, aside from the chains, it was basically a small guest suite, Azula responds. Apparently, father has some love for his brother. I would have thrown him to his cell myself, not a cushy bedroom with silk sheets and nothing but some guards and some shackles to keep him chained up. Azula snorts. And there's no way I'd give him a window, no matter how high up on the wall it is. She turns to Zuko, about to make a comment about how Prince Iroh must be more sprightly than he seems to climb to the window, only to find... Zuko's face is drained entirely of color. He looks dazed again, eyes glazed like he's looking straight through Azula, and his chest is rising in uneven heaves like he's choking on breath he doesn't even have. Zuko? Zuko presses his hand to his head again. Great, Azula thinks, this again. And then Zuko gasps out a sound which sounds like it's trying to be a sob, which is... new. Zuko! Azula tries again, shaping her voice to be authoritative. Calm down or leave. No, Zuko says, and Azula scowls until she realizes that this isn't a response to her words. No, 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 no. Zuko? Azula's voice sounds small to her own ears this time, so she tries again. Zuko, calm down. She grabs his shoulder, wrenching him back from his half-curled-over position on the seat. Zuko looks up then, and there are tears on his face, and he looks wretched. I remember, he states, voice suddenly dipping low and hushed. And then his whole posture falls, tension snapping out of him like his strings have been cut. He squeezes his eyes shut, fresh tears escaping from his unscarred eye. I remember. Zuko's eyes open again suddenly, gaze snapping to Azula's. You need to get out of the palace, he says. His expression is shifting so much that it's almost dizzying, and Azula is left to be swept in the tide. What are you talking about? Azula asks. What do you remember? You need to get out of the palace, Azula, Zuko says, tension back in the shoulder that Azula is still grasping. But all of his frenetic energy is focused on her now. Get out of here. It isn't safe for you. You're acting crazy, Azula points out. This is the safest place in the world. Zuko shakes his head and he looks crazed. He looks crazed. Zuko grasps at the material of Azula's sleeves as he says, Not for us. It's not safe. It's not safe to stay with father. You need to get out. Father isn't going to kill me, Azula insists, irritated, and goes to shake Zuko off her sleeves, only to remember too late why she shouldn't grab his hand. Zuko's horrified face dissipates from before her eyes, and Azula is left alone in her bedroom. The sound of her own labored breathing fills the space. There is, once again, no prince in the palace. Zuko wakes, and his head is swimming. Azula, he thinks. Azula is in danger. But he can't remember why she's in danger. There's pain in his... body? Does he have a body? Zuko can't remember. Can't seem to grab onto the edge of any thought. But there's something painful in his middle, and... And something cool and soothing there, too like his body is battling between torn apart and knitted together. Zuko thinks he feels fingers in his hair, sweeping it back from his sweaty forehead. He tries to open his eyes, and he isn't sure he manages, but either way he's sure, for a moment, that he sees Princess Yue's face. Fight, Zuko, she says, her voice urgent and gentle. He's going to be okay. It has been hours since Katara started working on healing Zuko. 
Hakoda has spent most of that time standing on the edge of the room, with occasional bouts of pacing outside and trying to reassure his children. But this is the first time that Katara has indicated that there might be a positive outcome. Are you ready to discuss why it seems like he wouldn't be okay? Hakoda asks. He keeps his voice low. He'll take the good news to the other kids soon, but first he needs to understand the news. Katara looks back at him for just a moment, before refocusing on her patient. I can touch him, she states. I... I tried really hard not to. Her voice wobbles a little bit. But it's hard to heal. I did try. Of course, Hakoda replies. I know you did. And he didn't disappear, Katara explains. So something is different to before. Hakoda uncrosses his arms. Has it occurred to you? Of course it's occurred to me, Katara snaps. But if he's come back to life, he doesn't seem to know he's come back to life. Hakoda nods, trying to parse out the mystery before them. Could it have been the spirit waters? Katara shakes her head. No, it has to have been afterwards. He still disappeared after, even though he remembered. She sighs, sounding weary and tired. I need to concentrate. Hakoda nods. I'll go tell everyone that you think he's going to be okay, he suggests. And then Prince Zuko stirs, his one eyebrow drawing down and in and Hakoda is struck again by how he looks just like a boy, like any living, hurting child. And Hakoda knows that there's something else happening here, but he's also sure. Zuko's good eye cracks open, unfocused, and not quite present, but aimed in Hakoda's direction, and then the boy seizes up with alarm. No. He slurs, trying to curl back, like he's... like he's frightened of Hakoda. No, he says again and Katara tries to hush him. Zuko, it's okay, Katara says, her voice soft even when her eyes and hands are firm. I need you to stop moving, okay? She asks, but Zuko still cringes away. Katara looks up then, noticing that Zuko's attention is drawn to Hakoda, and Hakoda alone. Dad, you need to go, she states, and Hakoda nods, pushing down the slowly growing horror in his core, and leaves the room. Something is very wrong here. Zuko escapes from the other place. He refuses to stay. He refuses. He won't do this anymore. And he finds himself out in the sunshine. Zuko tilts his face up towards Agni's blessing. The light kisses his skin, and for a moment, Zuko allows himself peace. Zuko? Zuko turns towards his uncle's voice. They're outside. There's no cell. Uncle Iroh is free. Except, was this a surprise? Didn't Azula tell him? Zuko's head aches. Nephew, Iroh says, grasping at Zuko's shoulder. It has been some time. I was worried. Uncle, Zuko responds, trying to focus on what is in front of him. It's good to see you. Uncle Iroh smiles and all is right with the world. And you, my dear nephew, he says, and draws Zuko into one of his very careful hugs. I apologize for before. I was concerned that if someone saw you in that cell. I understand, Zuko assures him. He relaxes in Uncle's embrace, and the ache in his confused mind eases. Uncle Iroh feels like safety and home. Zuko is going to be okay, he realizes. Even though he's dead, he's still going to somehow be. Zuko pulls away sharply and presses his hand against his own abdomen. Zuko wasn't okay. Uncle, he says, 
and Zuko is confused again. But this time it isn't a swimming, unbalanced feeling. This time it's like Zuko can see the pieces of the puzzle, and can see that they don't fit together. I was hurt. Uncle Iroh frowns at him, and Zuko finally looks around them. They're in a camp, outside in the bright, bright, bright sunshine. What do you mean? I mean I was hurt, Zuko explains. There was. I was with the Avatar. I've been teaching him firebending. Zuko ignores Uncle Iroh's surprised hum and continues. And there was a fight, and... Zuko presses harder on his abdomen. How could I have been hurt? Uncle Iroh's mouth pulls down into a frown. Well, you're unharmed now, he points out. Is that true? Zuko tries to rifle through the pieces, the tiny slivers of information that don't fit together. Is Zuko hurt? He can't feel any pain. But then again, he can never feel the other place when he isn't there either. Zuko's entire being cringes away and refuses to examine the other place. It can be a half-remembered nightmare, a looming shadow in the corner, and it will not be anything more. But there's something wrong with the assertion that Zuko is unharmed. Zuko knows that there's some deep untruth here. He pulls at it and finds Katara. Katara was there wherever he was a moment ago, and she was... Was she helping him? Why did she need to help him? Zuko's consciousness sharpens, and he looks to Uncle Iroh with determination. I need you to show me a map. The next time Zuko wakes, he seems present. He comes to consciousness all at once, with an abruptly drawn breath. Katara leans back to give him space. He isn't fixed entirely, not yet, but Katara can afford to let him shift if he needs to. Zuko's bright eyes meet Katara's, and he looks determined. We need to go, he says, moving to sit up. Katara places a hand on his shoulder, encouraging him to lie flat. I'm not done, she insists. It won't take long, I promise. Zuko hesitates and then nods and lets Katara return to work. Katara is exhausted down to her vital organs, so this last part of the process is going slowly, but she's as determined as she is tired. Time passes. Katara works, and she tries to ignore Zuko's piercing gaze on her and she tries to ignore the question of whether or not her patient is alive. Eventually, the others pour into their makeshift medical room. The family who owns the house have stayed away, but it seems that everyone else is attempting to burst through the door. Katara gives Zuko a harried glance. So, Sokka greets, sitting heavily on the other side of the bed. Have we figured out why you're a real boy again? He pokes Zuko then, directly on Zuko's unscarred cheek. Zuko cringes away, and it's a long moment before he seems to realize that he isn't disappearing. Sokka, Katara reprimands, and then pulls Zuko's tunic down over his abdomen. Please don't deliberately scare my patient. Zuko goes to sit up, and this time Katara allows it. She'll need to work on him again, but this will do for now. I didn't disappear, Zuko states. And, Sokka adds in a voice that is too bright to be sincere, you bled, kind of a lot, which is exciting. Katara glares at her brother. Exciting, Sokka insists, and then his voice drops the cheer to add, Also, really weird and freaky. Hey, do you think you got resurrected? Zuko lifts a hand to his temple, and Katara's heart rate picks up, but this time his hand falls away almost like it was an automatic movement, and not a response to the confusion and pain that he's clearly been struggling with since he joined them. Why would I have been resurrected? Zuko asks. I didn't do anything. Maybe Agni changed his mind, Aang suggests. You said you thought you were being punished. Maybe Agni decided to stop punishing you. Zuko shakes his head. But why not just... 
let me die, he suggests. He looks down at his own hands. We don't know that I'm alive again, just that I can get hurt. Katara watches as this frown deepens. Maybe that's worse. Katara sits back against the side of the bed and draws her knees up. The other kids are sprawled around the room, and Dad is standing at the doorway with a serious expression on his face. Katara closes her eyes. Just a few moments of rest, she tells herself. Well, it does seem worse, Toph admits. Toph? Suki hisses. What? Toph asks. I'm just saying. He had one trick, and now it's gone. Two tricks, Zuko insists. Katara opens her eyes and cranes her neck, but she can't see him properly, so she quickly gives up. I can still move around like before. I was just with Uncle Iroh. Uh, Sokka says. No, you weren't. You were here the whole time. Katara was all... Katara doesn't bother to open her eyes to see whatever ridiculous motion Sokka has decided represents her healing. And you are unconscious. Zuko hesitates and then says, But I was with Uncle, he sighs. I don't understand anything, but I want to see Uncle Iroh, and I know where he is. Traveling to the White Lotus Camp takes longer than it should. There are multiple issues. Zuko isn't fully healed, and Katara insists on taking breaks to work on his epic arrow wound. Chit Sang decides to leave them in the war project, which is understandable, but he announces that decision while they're in the air, and while Appa works hard, he's unused to being quite so heavily burdened. Sokka navigates, of course, because nobody else can be trusted, and in the moments that he isn't sitting at the front of the saddle, Sokka entertains himself by poking Zuko on exposed areas of pale skin. Stop it, Zuko says, but it completely lacks any kind of intent. Plus, now that Sokka is really thinking about it, three years is a long time to not be touched, right? He pokes Zuko's bare wrist again for good measure. Zuko glares half-heartedly, but also does not move his arm away. Sokka wonders what past Sokka would have thought about how present Sokka is following Prince Zuko's lead on where they're going next in the war, while also trying to get him used to being touched like a real, living person. He'd probably burst a blood vessel. But hey, life gets weird when you befriend the Avatar. Sometimes your enemy turns out to be an angry ghost, and sometimes the angry ghost turns out to be a scared kid who needs to be hugged more. Not that Sokka is going to hug him. Zuko can get hugs from Katara and Aang, and probably his uncle. But Sokka can make sure that he doesn't go from nobody can touch me because I'll disappear to nobody can touch me because I'm a messed up ball of nerves. Being friends, kind of, with a ghost turns out to be more sad than it is scary. The princess sees a shadow shifting the reflection on the pond. Zuko, she thinks, and turns to face her brother. Too many words built up on her tongue. Questions, rebukes, accusations. But Azula is alone. Hugging Uncle feels different now that Zuko's physical presence has changed. At first, it feels amazing. It feels like so much more than usual, and a comforting rush washes over him. And then abruptly, it's too much. Too warm, smothering, itching, and Zuko has to pull back. Prince Zuko, Uncle Iroh says, and his smile is bright and warm. Uncle, Zuko says. He suddenly feels very urgently that he needs to tell Uncle everything. Surely he will understand. Look. Zuko grasps at Uncle Iroh's hand, skin on skin, and looks up to him. He waits patiently for an answer. Uncle Iroh's face shifts a little, smile going from bright to thoughtful. I had suspected this might occur after the spirit waters, he states. 
Your disappearance seemed to be based on the revelation of your situation. But he also got hurt, Katara says, coming to stand beside Zuko. I had to heal him. He was bleeding out. It was like he was going to... She halts and then looks at Zuko. Like I was going to die, Zuko finishes for her. Uncle Iroh frowns and nods for a moment, then turns to Aang. Well, we have an expert in the spirits among us. Aang just looks surprised. Um, me? You knew that my nephew was only present in spirit when you first met, Uncle Iroh points out. There are men who have spent months interacting with him and wouldn't notice without a mishap occurring. Zuko recognizes the expression that falls over Aang's face. It's the same look he gets during training, when Zuko asks him to repeat a move that he did on instinct alone, and Aang has realized that he has no idea how he did it. Um, but first, Uncle Iroh says kindly, I think we should sit for tea. Zuko recalls his uncle's many offerings of tea while they were on the Wani. He recalls his incandescent anger at the possibility of ever slowing down in his quest to regain his honor. But now, Zuko hears Iroh's request, and he finds himself smiling. What I don't understand is this, Sokka says, waving his teacup in the air. Katara watches warily as a few drops splash down the sides of the cup. She's pretty sure that the Fire Nation has a lot of etiquette about tea, and that her brother is breaking at least a few rules. If it walks like an otter penguin, and it squawks like an otter penguin, and it's excellent for riding down slopes like an otter penguin... He raises his eyebrows pointedly. Iroh only blinks back at him. Then, then it's an otter penguin, Sokka finishes with a flourish. He puts his teacup down, thank the spirits, turns to one side and pokes Zuko deliberately in the cheek. It's probably just an otter penguin. Uh, Zuko responds. See what I mean? He walks like a living person. He talks like a living person. He gets stabbed and bleeds out like a living person. So maybe he's just alive. Except that I died, Zuko points out, and everything else from the last three years. Ghosts don't bleed, Sokka crosses his arms. So something changed. You've been bodified. Embodied, Iroh suggests. You think that Zuko has been gifted with his body. Zuko scowls down at his own cup. Something did change, Aang says quietly. Katara looks to him attentively. He hasn't said much since Iroh put him on the spot. After you joined us, it was... you were different. Different how? Iroh asks, leaning forward in the circle of space between them all. And when did this begin? The day of the Black Sun, Aang explains. Zuko joined us when we were escaping, and you seemed really freaked out, Aang says, now turning to Zuko. But it was a pretty freaky day, so I guess we just let it slide. I did think you seemed different. More... He frowns deeply, looking into the distance. I guess you were less angry? You just seemed lost. Iroh chuckles. We did call him the angry spirit of the Wani. Zuko scoffs angrily. Katara tries to hide a smile behind her teacup. And I thought that it was just because I was getting to know you better, because you were teaching me firebending. But I did think you seemed more... real, somehow. Aang purses his lips for a moment, and then says, When we first met, there were these little flashes where I almost thought I could see right through you. Like you weren't really there. I haven't seen that in a while. Since you joined us, I guess. Katara frowns as she listens, remembering that day. So much happened. So much that Katara hasn't really been able to process. But Zuko... 
You said you escaped from the other place, Katara remembers. You used the word escaped. What do you mean by that? The other place? Iroh asks, turning to his nephew. Zuko's face goes a little tight, and Katara isn't sure if it's in thought or pain. It's where I go, he says eventually, and then flinches a little. Katara sits forward, unsure if Zuko's expression is from physical pain or from not wanting to talk about the place he disappears to. It's in the spirit world, Aang explains, the place Zuko goes to when he's not here. Zuko's chest is rising unevenly, and Katara starts to get nervous about where this is going. And then Zuko does the thing again. He lifts the heel of his hand to his temple, pressing down as if to relieve pain. And Katara has officially had enough. Your head, Katara says, reaching for the water skin. Let me see if I can help. Zuko moves farther away from her as she approaches, and Katara sits back on her heels, waiting impatiently for him to catch up. Zuko, she says, attempting to be soothing. Your head hurts you a lot. Just let me see if I can relieve it for you, now that we know I can touch you. When does your head hurt? Iroh asks, frowning with concern. This didn't used to be an issue. Zuko shakes his head like he's trying to clear it and says, It just... it happens sometimes. When I try to figure things out, it just feels like... He hesitates, and Katara watches him glance around their circle, from his uncle to their friends, lingering on Dad like he isn't sure he trusts him, and then returns to Iroh. His voice is lower this time. It just feels like there's too much, and when I try to figure it all out, it hurts. Concern lines Iroh's face. I do not think it is a physical kind of pain, he says to Katara. I trust that you mean well, Katara, but I do not think that matters of the mind can be healed this way. Katara frowns, because shouldn't she at least try? Well, the pain is still a physical thing, right? Sokka asks. So if the problem is that Zuko can't think without hurting, maybe Katara can use her magic to ease the pain, and Zuko can pull the answers from his own head. It's not magic, it's waterbending, Katara snaps automatically, and then realizes what her brother is saying. But maybe that could work. Iroh looks thoughtful, and then turns to Zuko. Nephew, he says seriously. If your mind is trying to stop you from remembering, it might be for a reason. Zuko looks away pointedly. You need to know that you are willing to remember your time in the spirit world before you try to relieve what might be protective pain. Katara takes a deep breath, feeling thoroughly chastened by Prince Iroh's words. Katara has spent so much time in the North learning from Master Paku that it sometimes overshadows her time with Master Yogada. But she remembers vividly now how her healing instructor had said, Look for the damage, not the pain. Healing only the damage heals pain, but healing only the pain causes damage. Zuko is quiet for a long time. Katara hears those on the other side of the circles start talking between themselves. But their voices feel far away. She tries not to stare at Zuko, but she's almost certain that she's failing. And when she drags her eyes away to look at Sokka instead... It's only to find that Sokka is watching Zuko with an uncharacteristically serious expression. It's bad, Zuko says, voice even quieter. He doesn't look up even once. I know it's bad. I can. It feels like a nightmare. You don't have to remember, Sokka says, and Katara looks to him in surprise. She expected her brother to want this situation fixed as much as she does. What does it matter, really? You're here now, and you're alive. I'm... 70% sure of it. Zuko doesn't look up, but his mouth twitches like he's thinking of smiling. And then finally, he heaves a deep sigh and looks at Katara. 
Okay, he says. Okay? Katara asks. Do it, Zuko says. I'll try thinking while you heal me, and maybe it won't come to anything anyway. Katara reaches for her water skin again, but her hand feels less steady this time. Are you sure? Zuko nods decisively. It's just remembering, he states. It happened whether or not I remember, right? The water is cool and soothing around Zuko's head. It quietens him, calming the flare of pain that tries to surface when he calls up the faded image of the other place. And then there's a rush, like the earth has been torn from under him, a great crash of pain as the world tilts. And Zuko. He rips himself back away from Katara's hands and the water and scrambles as far as he can in one fell swoop. And Zuko. The world aligns. The world aligns, and Zuko knows. He knows. He knows too much, and it throbs in his head, and he desperately hopes that it will fade, hopes that it will slip through his fingers like water. But it doesn't. It stays there, planted solidly in his mind. The other place has come to meet him at last, and it isn't otherworldly at all. Zuko jolts to his feet, unbalanced, and snatches himself away from hands that try to right him. There are words, a great cacophony of words crowding him. Too much and too many— and all Zuko can say is, I'm not dead. Everyone expects him to explain. He knows, but the idea of... He's going to vomit. Zuko's mouth fills with saliva, and he pushes away from the crowd, only thinking anywhere but here, anywhere but here, and then pulls himself back. He can't think that, because this place is... This place is safe, and there are a great many other anywheres that aren't. Zuko flees, and he hides, and he curls himself tightly into a ball. His wrists ache from the cuffs. No, wait, there are no cuffs. He isn't slipping back into the other place because that can't happen. Can it? If he thinks too much of the other place. Of the palace. The palace. There is no other place. Will he find himself there? No, Zuko thinks. Anywhere but there. Anywhere but there. Anywhere but... Go away, Azula insists, as she spots the shadow in the mirror. You're not here. She watches as the ghost of her brother, or her mind's depiction of the ghost of her brother, pulls in deep, uneven breaths. Zuko draws closer to her, outside of the shadows. Azula closes her eyes briefly, sure that if she turns to face him, he'll be gone. You need to get out of here, Zuko says, his voice destroyed again, like it was last time. Last time? Has he ever really been here before? Has Azula's mind betrayed her so much that she's imagined all of it? I'm not going anywhere, Azula states, calm and level. I belong in the palace. Her chair shakes when Zuko leans his weight on it, and Azula opens her eyes to watch him in the reflection. He looks terrible, feverish maybe. His hair is plastered to his face, and his eyes are reddened and watery. Even the bad eye. His brother looks like he might collapse at any moment. You have to get away from father, Azula, Zuko insists, his voice shaking pathetically. You have to get out of here. It isn't safe. Azula sighs. This again, she asks. I told you, Zuzu. Just because it isn't safe for you doesn't mean it's unsafe for me. Zuko flinches at that, a full-bodied jerk. He draws an air like he thinks he's been underwater and says, Does he ever... Does he ever hurt you, Azula? He isn't meeting her eyes anymore. Azula frowns, thinking of the occasional burn mark when she's been too slow, there to teach her nothing more, 
and thinks of Zuko's disfigured face. Of course not, Azula replies. Why would he ever hurt me? I'm not you. Zuko goes still so suddenly that it sends a chill down Azula's spine. He looks up into the mirror then, and there are no more tears. He looks haunted, somehow. Haunted and haunting, like a terrible parody of death. Azula refuses to feel bad. She's only speaking accurately. Zuko had died, been murdered, her mind supplies, for his own shortcomings. Azula owns no such flaws. She raises her chin, and her brother's face shifts until he just looks... tired. He breaks eye contact, shoulders dipping like he's out of energy. Confused, Azula turns in her seat, intending to ask him to his face what this is about, only to find that she's alone in the room. The spirit waters are calm. Zuko is not. His mind whirls, and he's so... He's so tired. Why can't he just rest? Why has nobody ever let him rest? You fought. Zuko raises his head, and some of the calm of the spirit waters washes over him as he watches Princess Yue sit beside him. She reaches out a hand to take his, and Zuko finds himself leaning against Yue until his head is tilted against hers. You fought, Yue repeats. You did it. You got out. Zuko is just so tired. I think I would rather have been dead. They sit together at the waters, awful understanding settled heavy over them, and Zuko tries to fight the tendrils of thought that say if he wasn't dead, he can still die now. He tries to ignore that it feels like a comfort, and for a terrible moment, Zuko finds himself jealous of Yue's death. But the woman, the spirit, pressed against his side, did not ask for death. She gave up her decades of life as a sacrifice for the world. Zuko knows that it's disgusting that he finds himself wishing for the death that Princess Yue gave herself over to, as if she's only here to be a model of honorable death to a dishonorable prince, as if she isn't a person in her own right, a girl torn too early from the world. The prince and princess sit together for a long time in silence. Zuko holds himself back from asking, what do I do now? Because she doesn't owe him any kind of answer. Yue lifts her spare hand and brushes it against Zuko's hair. Keep fighting, she tells him, as if she heard his silent question after all. When Zuko comes back to his body, there is a moment of confusion in which he thinks he can still feel Yue against his side. It takes a moment for him to catalog the sensations of his body, the leftover ache in his abdomen, the rock against his back, the cool night air against his face, and the weight against his sides and over his legs. It takes him a few more moments, blinking in the dim firelight of the nearby camp, to place what is happening. Aang is tucked up against Zuko's left arm, his hands curled around Zuko's bicep and his face pressed to the rock behind him. And there's a third hand there, too. The back of Sokka's hand is pressed against Zuko from where his arm is slung around Aang's shoulders, as if that wasn't bizarre enough. Katara is on Zuko's other side, her head tilted against Zuko's shoulder. Suki is lying on the ground directly, curled up on her side with her head on Katara's lap, arms flayed haphazardly across Katara's thighs, and across everyone's legs lies Toph, her head propped up on Suki's hip. Zuko blinks, glancing at each of them again to confirm that he isn't seeing things. But he's sure that he isn't. If he was dreaming, his legs wouldn't be numb from Toph's weight, and Katara's hair wouldn't itch a little against the skin of his neck. 
There's a brief flash of panic down Zuko's core when he realizes that he's essentially trapped. He can't get up without waking everyone. And they're touching him, his arms and his legs, and Suki's hand is tucked between Katara's hip and Zuko's. It's too much. He must tense up, because Toph shifts and says, Spooky? You back with us? Zuko swallows and tries to relax. Yeah, he says. Toph hums a little and then asks, Where did you go? Zuko blinks into the dimness and then looks up at the night sky. I want to see my sisters, he says, and then hears himself and tries again. I want to see my sister, and I want to see Princess Yue. There's a long stretch of silence, and then Toph says, Well, I have a lot of questions about all of that, but I guess it's more important to ask what you learned about your whole life and or death situation. Zuko feels his heart pick up speed, thumping against his chest in a way that makes him feel vaguely sick, and he knows that Toph can feel it too. I'm not dead, he says. I was never dead. I was just leaving my body behind. Hmm, Toph says. Like you did just now? Yeah. Zuko hopes that that will be it, but the world has never been kind to him, and of course Toph asks him, And where was your body all that time? Zuko clamps down on the urge to run. He clamps down on the feeling of too many hands, on the vague idea that he might slip back into his prison in the palace at any moment, and says, I'm not, I'm not talking about that. Toph hesitates, and then says, That bad, huh? Zuko nods, even though Toph can't see him. And when Toph slips back into sleep, Zuko stays alert, staring into the darkness and occasionally glancing up at the moon. Yue saved him, Zuko realizes. Zuko thought they were both walking to their death that day in the spirit oasis. But Yue has been saving Zuko ever since, and Zuko is much too late to return the favor. The moon moves across the sky. Eventually, the warmth of everyone pressed against Zuko stops feeling oppressive. Azula stops looking into reflections.